And let me just say, I, I think it's an honor to be here, um, to, to know that uh, Pastor John and Tammy have been going after God for a long time, and God's brought them here to this senior pastor, lead pastor position. I think that's just a pretty cool thing. You know, I, I need to say I just really love the, the Oscars. I had to work at loving John, but it's easy to love Tammy. Everybody knows that, right? <laughs> no. Uh, your pastor was, uh, I would just say, faithful, steady, studious. Uh, he knows the Word of God, and uh, I always admired his ability to preach and teach. And uh, I think you're, uh, you're privileged to have, have them here. You agree with me? All right, all right, that's good. I'll pull the I'll pull the applause out of them. <laughs> no, <German> yeah, <laughs> that's right. <clears throat> but uh, but it's my privilege to be here today. I I uh, had I planted the church in Kenosha in 1999, and um, was there until last May. And then last May I stepped down, and my son stepped up and uh, became the pastor. And so uh, he's, he's doing things down there now, but I'm out on the road full-time and uh, traveling and out and about. So next uh, Sunday, I'll be in Emporia, Kansas. Um, <laughs> be in Kansas and St. Louis the, day, the week after that, and then Florida. So you got to go to Florida in the wintertime. Did you know that? Yeah. God always calls us evangelists to, to Florida in the wintertime. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in Hawaii. And I said, can I go to Florida like in the middle of the summer? And he said, no, you need to go in the wintertime. So I'm just trying to be obedient to God, you know. <laughs> but uh, I want to share with you some principles today. As you can see, the title there is called Desire, Discipline, and Delight. <clears throat> I've taught on this principle for, for a long time about how God brings us to this place of giving us the desires of our heart. And it's based on Psalm 37.4, which is a well-known verse which says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. I think most Christians have been around for a while know that verse because we all, we all want God to give us the desires of our hearts. Because we, all have, we all have desires, don't we? We all have something that we... We are, are seeking and pursuing from the Lord, and, and so um, we can relate to, to that idea. A couple of years ago, we had a guest speaker come to our church, and uh, he was sharing his testimony of the, the process God took him through of, of bringing him out of the world, out of a, a drug world. Um, he was uh, quite a, a sinner, I guess you could say. Um, but he was, uh, he had a very powerful testimony of how, how God was just putting in him this, this drive to, to seek God and to go after God. And, and um, some of his testimony just reminded me of my own testimony because I came to Christ in my 20s, a little bit later in life. Well, it, didn't, it seemed later then. Now 20 seems pretty young. But uh, I didn't... Uh, I didn't have a typical church upbringing and all that. Um, but we had an interesting experience in our family. My uh, grandfather 
got saved on his deathbed. And so just, just weeks before his salvation, I mean before his death, he got saved. And he started talking to my mom about, uh, about him getting saved. <clears throat> you know, and he, he said to my mom, man, I'm, I'm ready to go to heaven now because I gave my life to Christ. And, and my mom gave a typical church response of, no, you were going to go to heaven anyway because you're a good man. You know, you know isn't it interesting how <clears throat> we, we uh, everybody we love, we assume is going to go to heaven based on their own goodness. And that's what she thought. You know, oh, you're a good man. You're going to heaven. He said, no, I was not. And really, he wasn't. I mean, he was a scoundrel. He was a womanizer and an alcoholic and... He was just a mess, but you know, from your daughter's perspective, he, he was the perfect man. And uh, <clears throat> but he just—he really talked to her about no, I needed to get saved. I needed to do this. So it really got my mom thinking about uh, salvation and, and all that. And so I grew up out in uh, Rapid City, South Dakota. And when whenever uh, the local Assembly of God Church there, because there was some there was some ties there between us and some others. Whenever they did something special, my mom would go to that church and, and uh, participate. And, and the Lord was working on her and uh, just doing some things in her life. And finally, <clears throat> the Billy Graham Association came out with a, a movie back in the 70s called Time to Run. And this was a movie that was put out during the Jesus People movement. And, and it was all about, well, basically it was about being born again, about how to get saved. And... Um, well, it was. Uh, it came out, and my mom went and seen it, and it was. Uh, she could do it because it was a film. Because back then, you could show films in churches, but you couldn't show a movie. So as long as it was called a film, it was, it was safe. So, so. If <laughs> you remember those days when you, you can see, <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> she and my dad went to that. They got all stirred up about it, and they came back to my brothers. There was four of us boys. Said, "You guys are going to go to this, and we're, and I want you. To, we want you to watch it, and then we're going to have a little family discussion." Well, uh, that alone was kind of miraculous because none of us were going after God. I don't know how in the world we even agreed to go see this thing, but we did. And then afterwards, we went and got together as a family, and just started talking about what this being born again means. And uh, we talked for three or four hours. It was just an amazing thing. Looking back, I just really feel the Holy Spirit was involved. But at, the, at that time, none of us had an inkling of what the Holy Spirit meant. And uh, so we discussed it, <clears throat> and we made a decision that we should get saved. We thought, you know what? We need this. You know, it, you know it's a lot easier when you're German. You just make a logical decision. Thought, okay, well, let's see. We're not saved, and we should be saved, so let's get saved. That's what we decided. So that was Friday night. So we said, well, Sunday, we'll just get saved. <laughs> which is pretty cool. Um, so that was Friday evening. Well, Saturday night, I was on my way to go see my cousin, and, and he lived out of town, and I had to take the interstate to get there. And I'm, I'm driving along, and I come over this rise, and there's a, a highway patrolman with a, a radar gun on me, and I look down, and I'm going 90 mile an hour. And I, was, uh, I was driving a Porsche. You know, I... Car-wise, I was doing way better before I got saved. <laughs> now I just got a Honda is all I got. <laughs> My dad used to be in the car business and, and all that. But uh, I'm thinking, oh, man, he's got me. And I thought, well, he's got me, so I'll just keep going. I just shot past him. 
And he just sat there. I kept looking at my rearview mirror, and he just sat there. He never came after me. And I know he, I know he had me on the radar gun. I was the only car on the road. And he just sat there, and I thought to myself, well, maybe I'm saved already. This, this being a Christian, this is gonna be great, you know. <laughs> of course, uh, <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> but you know, uh, those first few months and and actually years, um, God just really did some stuff in my heart and and just put a desire in my heart to see God glorified. And and uh, I, I, one day I read about this verse in Isaiah. Uh, it's a verse in Isaiah. It's not coming up. <laughs> uh, in Isaiah chapter 26, if you're going to go there. We're coming up. Well, I'll read it. You can, it'll come on the screen here pretty soon. Isaiah 26 and verse 8. It says, Indeed, while following the way of your judgments, O Lord, we have waited eagerly for you. Your name, even your memory, is the desire of our souls. At night my soul longs for you. Indeed, my spirit within me seeks you diligently. You know, the prophet is saying, you know, all we've ever wanted is, is who you are. That's all we want. We want you. And, and all you've ever done is, is, is what we want also. And he says, you know, so much so that, that my soul longs for you. My spirit reaches out to you. And he's just expressing what's in his heart toward the Lord. And I don't know if you can identify with the prophet's heart here or not. I, I hope you can to some degree. <clears throat> My desire to see God glorified just continued to, to grow in that, in that. And, you know, it eventually led me to a, a deeper prayer life. And when it comes to that whole process of, of God leading us and, and bringing us to a point where uh, giving us the desires of our soul... I'm going to go back to our title, which is Desire, Discipline, and Delight. And I want to talk about this cycle that uh, we go through. Everything, be everything begins in this cycle with, uh, with desire. And once, uh, you know, once, once, we are, are, once that is expressed and we understand it, then we move through this cycle. But, but desire is the... It is the first step in acquiring this thing that's on your heart. You know, desire is not merely a simple wish. Desire is a deep-seated craving. It is, it is an intense longing for attainment. Desire is an absolute essential toward realization. Uh, desire goes before the request, and by it, it is intensified and, and created even in a greater degree. And since we're talking about a desire for God himself, obviously we're talking about prayer because there's you know, very few ways to get close to God without prayer and, and the word. But desire goes before prayer. You know, um, one of my favorite authors on prayer is E.M. E. Bounds, and he, he often said that you know, uh, prayer is simply the voicing of the desire, that long before there is prayer, there's desire. And all, all prayer is, is is the speaking forth of the desires of your heart. So prayer comes out in the open. Desire is silent. But the deeper the desire, the deeper the prayer. And that's a key thought because we can't, um, 
we can't make great claims of love for the Lord if we don't have uh, a deep prayer life. What I mean is anything you desire, you want to be with. That just makes sense. You know, I'm, I'm out on the road a lot, so when I go home, um, if I come into my house and greet my wife and say, Honey, I'm, I'm so glad to see you and just want you to know how much I miss you and how much I love you. However, I don't really feel like spending any time with you. Would, uh, would not be a good way to start Valentine's week. Um, but, I mean, it wouldn't make sense either for me to express my great love for her but not want to be with her sort of typifies, I think, the American church where we talk about our great love for God and then turn down one opportunity after another to be with him. You know, when the desire is, is great, uh, the prayer is great. Well, in 1 Samuel, we read about a woman named Hannah. I imagine you're familiar with Hannah. She gave birth to Samuel the prophet. And uh, Hannah was married to a man named Elkanah. He has two wives, as we read here now in 1 Samuel chapter 1. In reference to her husband, it says, He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. So it was bad enough that Hannah couldn't have children, but Peninnah began to rub it in. And there was this rivalry going on between the two wives. And let me just say, guys, one of the ways to avoid this is don't have two wives. Amen. You know, one wife is enough, don't you think? <laughs> and so there's this, this battle going on. And verse 6 says um, her rival would, would provoke her beer, uh, bitterly to irritate her because God had closed her womb. And so this went on for a long time, year after year. And Hannah's desire for a child was growing and growing. And finally, it manifests itself into a, a powerful time when she's in verse 10, she says, greatly distressed, she prays to the Lord and weeps bitterly. But this was a, not a superficial prayer, obviously. This was a, a deep prayer. In fact, we see through the definition in uh, verse 12, of this prayer, because uh, the Eli, the priest, was watching, and it says he was watching her mouth, but in verse 13, as for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard, so Eli thought she was drunk. So for him to assume she was drunk, there had to be some kind of physical manifestations going on in how she was expressing herself, even though there wasn't it wasn't an audible prayer. There was a, uh, a, obviously a deep burden of her soul uh, to the point of being interpreted or misinterpreted as being drunk. So this desire for this child was driving her to, to deep measures, desperate measures. And she ends up praying really until a, a child is formed in her. Well, if we, if we go back to this cycle, after desire, then it's discipline. Uh, and discipline... Discipline is where most of us quit. Uh, discipline is the biggest part of this, this whole process. There's kind of an overarching part of this process. Uh, desire is the launching pad, but discipline is where the rubber meets the road. And Desire is the, the liftoff. But if the desire is not great enough, 
then we will usually give up when we get to the second phase of discipline. You know, I've been, uh, suppose you want to get in shape physically. I've been told there are people that actually want to do that. Uh, I've not met any, but I've been told there are some. And so you decide you want to get in shape. Um, well, depending on your desire, that determines how much you'll stay at the discipline side of it. Uh, I remember a guy telling me, you know, you, if, take an exercise that you can do and do that exercise on one day and then the next day do that and then add one. And the next day do that and add one. And he said, just keep adding one until you're, you know, until you got a pretty good routine going. So I thought, all right, well, I can, I'll do that with sit-ups. I thought I could do a sit-up because, you know, I already had, I already had like one going for me. I did half of it when I got out of bed in the morning. The other half when I went back to bed. So I, you know, I'm already, I already have some momentum that way. So I thought I'll, I'll do that. And uh, so I, you know, got to where I was doing, you know, a number of those every day. Um, but, you know, the, the point is this. If, if the desire is not great enough, we'll stop at discipline. Just think of in Proverbs 20 and verse 6 how the Bible says many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. You know, who, what Christian doesn't talk about their deep love for God? We all want to confess our love for God. But, you know, it's not a matter of what we claim to be. We are, we are defined by what we actually do. And, and faithfulness relates to the discipline aspect of this process. Uh, if you declare your love for God, the measure of that love is determined by the consistency in your pursuit of God. Amen. Not just that I love God, but rather I consistently go after God. And so even though it appears that Hannah had this one big giant prayer time where she finally gets God's attention, in reality, she'd been praying that way and with that intensity uh, for a long time. In fact, going back to 1 Samuel, says this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her and, and, until she wept and would not eat. But Hannah would not give up. Her desire was great enough, and even though her rival provoked her each time, uh, every time that she went to the temple to pray, she didn't let that, that provocation uh, stop her in her pursuit. That, that discipline kept going on. So year after year she prays. And then finally, at one point, Eli, after he sees her praying, he says, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. So finally the answer comes. And Hannah receives the confirmation that she's looking for. And her discipline pays off. And so look at what happens to her in verse 18. It says, then she went her way and, and, and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early in the morning, they rose and worshiped before the Lord. So every time she'd gone to the temple, she was weeping and she was fasting during this whole discipline phase. But now that she has the assurance, everything changes about her. She eats something. Her face is no longer downcast. You know, and if your face is not downcast, what is it? It's rejoicing. 
And, and so joy has been restored to her heart, and the joyful heart worships God. So the next morning she gets up, she eats something, she worships before the Lord, and she's come to this place now, this, this final phase uh, of delight. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I think in this whole process of Hannah praying year after year, God was trying to get her over herself and her self-pity before she could get her prayer answered. I wonder if initially Hannah uh, prayed out of the bitterness in her heart toward her rival. Uh, year after year she prays uh, for, you know, just, not justification, but you know, to show I'm, you know, I'm as good as, I'm as good as Pananah is. Lord, give me a child for this reason. And then I think she prays a different prayer. Eventually she comes to, to this point where she changes her focus. <coughs> she made a vow and said, Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. So once she comes to the place of saying, in essence, Lord, this request is no longer for me. This is now for your glory. So hear my prayer, answer my prayer, so that that answer, my son, can bring glory to you all the days of his life. You know, once it was God that she delighted in, God gave her the very desire that started this whole process. He gave her a son. That was her original desire. But not until she proved her desire by being willing to, to pay the price of discipline, which ultimately brought her to the place of delighting in God himself, did she get the thing that she desired. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I don't know if you've ever considered your motives in, in prayer especially when it comes to praying for the lost. We touched a little bit on this yesterday in our conference. But I wonder if we pray amiss sometimes when our love for our lost loved ones supersedes our love for God. And subsequently, we pray for them for their sake rather than for God's sake. See, it's not just that people without Christ are on their way to hell. It's that the Son of God died for them and he's worthy of their worship and their praise. This is more about Jesus than it is about them. Uh, I wonder if we're not a lot more like Hannah than we really want to admit. Because I think she first started praying out of self-pity. You know, God, please answer me and look how I'm suffering. Or, <clears throat> or we can pray, God, Please answer my prayer for these people because look how they're suffering. You know, and, and neither of those requests seem bad until we compare ourselves and our needs <clears throat> to who Jesus is and the price that he paid for our sins. You know, we looked at, at these verses yesterday, James 4, 2, and 3. Uh, it says, you, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive. So in verse 2 it says the, the reason we don't have that thing is because we, we haven't asked for it. I wonder how Hannah would react to that verse. 
You know, she lived in the Old Testament days, and now here's this New Testament verse that says, the reason you haven't got that thing is because you haven't asked for it. She might say, I've been asking for years. What do you mean, I, I haven't been asking? If it's as simple as asking for it and receiving it, then we can assume it's something that is within the will of God. And God says, the reason you don't have it is because you haven't asked for it. But then verse 3 says, but when you ask for it, you don't receive it. And so it's really not about the asking. It's about the motive behind your asking. Uh, it's asking with right motives. In fact, if we see the rest of verse 3, it says you, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So what he's saying is, you know, you're praying all about yourself and all the things that you'd like to see, and you're not really considering Jesus and the price he paid for people's salvation. And, you know, and it's, it's more about him than it is about us. And so it seems like initially Hannah had wrong motives <clears throat> until she put God first, until she put God's will before her will. See, I think initially she wanted a child just for herself, maybe in part just to hush her arrival. Uh, but God was doing something behind the scenes. There was something going on that Hannah didn't understand. See, if Hannah's original motive for a son was just to prove to Peninnah that she was as much a woman as she was, then that's not a right motive. It's not a competition. It's not, God, answer my prayer so I can prove that I'm as good as another person What's that got to do with God? That has to do just with me. But there was, this was a time in, in the history of Israel when leadership was hard to find. The giant lawgiver Moses is long gone. His successor Joshua is gone also. The whole generation, that whole generation and more have moved and left the scene. The giants gave way to smaller sized leaders and now those leaders are gone too, and for the most part, at this point in history, there are leaderless people. And this was before the day that kings ruled Israel. Because if you remember, Samuel's the one who anointed the first kings. So there wasn't even uh, kings in Israel. So it was a time when the people had no ideals. And the nation was rapidly drifting down to a very low moral level. In Shiloh, the formal worship was kept up. And that's when Hannah and them would go to the temple to worship. But, but, but the temple itself was, was corrupt. Eli was the priest, but he was not a good priest in that he didn't do anything about his corrupt priest's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And so that's the setting. And they would go to the temple to pray, not, not living too far away, and with their husband. Now, Elkanah was an earnest man, but he was not the type of man that could rise above the habit of his day. His farm was not very far from Shiloh, the national place of worship, and he made yearly trips there with his family, but he never raised a standard higher than the expected standard of no standards. No standards was the acceptable standard of the day. Everything was open and acceptable. Does it sound like a country you might be living in today? God wanted a leader for the nation. But there were no leaders. And Elkanah didn't have the stamina to stand up against <clears throat> the standard of no standards. And believe me, when, 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 
when God raises up a man to bring back standards, all hell comes against that. And so there were no, there were no men that he could go to, and worse yet, there were no women of the caliper that God looks for in order to train and shape a man for leadership. And yes, ladies, I said that the right way. <laughs> uh, God had to get a woman to help him before he could get a man. God had to find the Virgin Mary in order to get Jesus to earth. God's always worked through women. And this is true uh, uh, in this situation too. So he finds Hannah, and the initial problem with Hannah is that she has wrong motives. She obviously had within her the making of the woman, a, a woman of God that he was looking for, and he honors her by choosing her, but she must be changed before she can be used. And I think that begins to explain why there were all those years of, of an, unanswered prayer in her life. All those years of, of waiting and weeping and hoping those were years of, of pruning and sifting and discipleship. And out of those years and experiences, there comes a new woman, a woman with her vision broadened, her spirit mellowed, and a strength that could come no other way. God had to bring her to a place of sacrifice. <clears throat> she had to come to the place of giving up her dearest personal pleasures for the worldwide purposes of God. You know, you're not going to come to this place where you'll give up the things that mean the most to you for God's sake until God is what you delight in. We have to delight more in the Lord than we do in our own lives. God had to get her to the place of being willing to give her son to a lost world. And once she was willing to give her son to a lost world, he gave her the desire of his heart. Um, he gave her a son. You know, one of the other verses we referred to in, in our conference is Luke 18.1. This is Jesus telling them a parable that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Sometimes we have to do things out of obedience rather than desire. In other words, even if you don't have a desire for something, by making yourself do something, desire can build. That's kind of what we talked about yesterday, the whole, whole process of developing a prayer life. There are times when we just have to do it out of obedience. And that was the word ought here. Men ought always to do this. Uh, it's an act of your will. You know, when you are hungry, hunger is an active sense of a physical need. Hunger prompts the request for bread. And if you feed your body every time it wants bread, it wants bread more and more often. I speak from experience. But you know, there are times when we will make ourselves eat certain things, not because we are hungry for it, but because we've learned that we need the certain nutrition for it, uh, from it. To me, that, that explains broccoli. You know, you know, that's why God invented broccoli. But being in Wisconsin, we get to cover it with cheese, so that helps a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> but you know, in the, in the same way 
that our bodies know that they have a need. The inward consciousness of spiritual need creates spiritual desire. And the more we respond to this spiritual need, the stronger its cravings get. And with time, we, we are driven to prayer. We're driven to the word because of the cravings. That's why 1 Peter 2, 2 says, Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. It's talking about how a baby has an innate drawing to its source of nurture, which in this case is mom. Mom is a source of nurture. You don't have to teach a baby to be hungry because uh, hunger comes with life. So birth, whether it's spiritual or physical, creates a craving for nourishment. And the absence of this holy desire in your life is proof that you have either declined spiritually or that the new birth has never taken place in your life. So you have to ask yourself, what is it, which is it for me? Because heaven-given appetites are, are proof of a renewed heart. You can't have life without hunger. The only things that aren't hungry are the things that are dead. Once desire is great enough, then we'll pay the price of discipline. And once that's paid, we come to the place of delighting in God himself, which then awards us with the desire that we had in the very first place. I like what Habakkuk says in the last part of his book. <coughs> Chapter 3 and verse 17. This is the end of his book. And um, he's writing about all the things that are going wrong in life. And he says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, and though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, and right there at the end of verse 17, before you get to verse 18, right there at the end, you could insert your own situation. You know, though they've found cancer, though my marriage is in trouble, though I've got financial issues, whatever it is can go right there because he's, he's running down this laundry list of things that are going wrong. But his solution is in verse 18, and he says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in God my Savior. You know, the word rejoice in verse 18 actually means to leap, you know, to jump up in the air. And the word joy means to spin around. So the prophet had found that many of his prayers seemed to be still unanswered. There were still many problems in the land. And yet he ends his book by saying, in essence, even though everything on God's green earth is going wrong, I am still going to enjoy God. I'm going to jump up as high as I can for him and come down spinning. You know, when you make up your mind that God is what you're going to delight in, then you can have a big time in God even if the world is falling apart. Because this world is about, our, our existence is about God. I love to tell the story, it's a true story about a man who raised his son from the time he was about five years old. Oh, the son was five, the man was older. And uh, he ra mom had died and he raised his son in church, and he, and he did a good job. And, but when the boy was about 17 years old, for whatever reason, he decided he was no longer going to church. 
he said he was an atheist and he started partying and running around. And this would just break dad's heart. And every time he would come to church and everybody else would be worshiping, he'd just hold his head in his hands and, and he couldn't even bring himself to worship because he was so broken over his son. <clears throat> well, two years later, now the boy was 19, one of the man's friends came to him and said, I don't know if I should tell you this, but I'm a dad, and if it was my son, I'd want to know this. So I'm going to tell you that my son just told me that your son has, married this, has, has met this prostitute in a bar, and they're about to get married. She's in her 30s. And that was just all that dad could take. He got in his car, and he's driving down the road, and he, wasn't, he was so burdened, he wasn't paying attention to what was going on, and he came to a corner, and his car spun out, and he, he spun into a tree. And the man was merely bruised and scratched up. But he said, he said, as I crawled out of that car and I was still on my hands and knees, the Spirit of God came on me and said, don't you realize there's not one thing you can do to save your son? You go to church, you leave him to me, you worship me, make me what you delight in. And he, that man said, I took God at his word. And the next time he went to church, something happened. He said when, they, when the worship started, he, he entered in and he, he started worshiping God. He said the Spirit of God just came on him and he stayed in this attitude of, of just delighting in God. And in less than one month, this thing had been going on for two years. In less than one month, his son came to church. He walked the, walked the aisle, came to the altar, recommitted his life to Christ. He dumped that woman. They never did get married. It took God less than one month of what two years of fretting and worrying could not do. But as soon as God changed his motive and got him to delight in him, he gave him the desire of his heart. He gave him his son. You know, how many of us don't have a desire of our heart? I think we probably all have certain desires. And the thing that we have to understand is we're not in a battle against God. It's not like we're trying to get a reluctant God to finally do something. I think God is trying to get a reluctant church to just pray and just delight in him and make him the, the object of their love and their passion and their pursuit. Um, God wants your kids saved more than you want your kids saved. He wants your family saved more than you want them saved. It's not, a, it's not like, God, will you finally do something? Uh, we're not trying to convince him of, of their worth. I think, if anything, he's trying to convince us of his worth and that he deserves our praise and our worship and our glory and, and that we should glorify him and just delight in him. Delight yourself in God. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Amen? I'm going to pray for you. And... Um, I'm just going to say that if, if there is something that you feel, you know, that this has spoken to you and there's, a, there's something you've been praying, <clears throat> there's a desire of your heart, I'd like you to just stand as we pray because I want to I ask God to just bring that about in your heart and your life. So would you just stand right where you're at if, this, if you feel like this applies to you? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just thank you that your word is so good and so powerful and, and we just find 
all the secrets to life in it, Lord. And Lord, I pray right now that the Spirit of God would just speak to the hearts of each of these individuals as they each have desires, and you know that desire. For the most part, you've put that desire in their heart, Lord, and it's your desire to bring about that desire in our lives, Lord. But you want to bring each of us to that place of just delighting in you, making you the very object of our passion and our joy. So, Father, just put that deep in our heart, that this is really about you. You'll take care of those other requests. You'll do those things. They're in the center of your will, Lord. But just help us in our motives. Help us to see that everything we're praying for, we're praying it so that you can be glorified. Just as Hannah said, if you'll answer this prayer, I'll give him to you, and he'll bring glory to you all the days of his life. Lord, you gave her her desire. She brought herself to giving up her most personal pleasures for the worldwide purposes of God. And then later, you gave her three more children, Lord. You multiplied that desire over and over. So, Father, I just pray for each person here today. That you just speak to their hearts and give them the hope that is in your word. Now, in Jesus' name, amen.